Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are always so very grateful for our listeners, so thank you for tuning in. Before we get started, I want to remind you about the Helpful Marriage book written by Tim and Mary Lee Bailey. There's a lot of marriage books out there, some of them good, some of them bad. This one's fantastic. So it's got a lot of good advice, good admonition, good encouragement, and it doesn't try to press each marriage into the same mold. Now today, we are going to continue the conversation we started last week about counseling. Again, in the studio today, we have Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Josh Nipp, a local pastor here in Bloomington. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Who should be doing counseling? Who should be doing it? And this is, I think, part of the the mystification of counseling. But it, and I think the mystification is that uh, it should be paid professionals, and that's that's. I mean, we see that professionalization across the, all kinds of industries. Like, there's almost nothing that's untouched by that. You know, take raising children <laughs> is like professionalized now we're supposed to have other people do it for us that we pay rather than the child's own mother right so it's a common problem and it's part of what's makes it mystifying um but the other thing that i found i think interesting is i actually saw a quote from martin luther that i've been stewing on where he talks about not wanting to do marriage counseling (laughs) Have you seen this? I haven't seen that quote, but yeah, Luther would say that. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it might have even been Calvin. It was either Luther or Calvin. No, I, I don't know, but I'm going to guess it's more likely it's probably it's Luther. Luther. Yeah, okay. Because Luther would say things he thought, whereas Calvin would think about things he thought <laughs> <laughs> before he spoke. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. But Luther also... There are a lot of things about marriage and Luther that are really pretty funny. Yeah. I'm not going to go into them, but yeah, I could see him saying that. Okay. But it was, it was striking to me because of course I've always assumed that like, that's what, that's what pastors do. They do marriage counseling. And so here's a guy now, so we could leave him to the side because there's all kinds of weird, maybe historical reasons, totally different context uh, to think about why he might've had that. No, I don't think it's a different context at all. Okay. I think it. I think marriage problems are intractable. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would say, what is the definition of intractable? I would say marriage problem. <laughs> it's it's like the praying menace is ma- mating, you know, they both devour each other, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and I don't mean to be cynical or um, fatalistic marriage about Marriage is great. You'll eat each other alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I mean they it is extremely difficult. Yeah, okay. to do marriage counseling. I mean, think about what you think while you sit there and watch a couple try to communicate. Uh, you want to shoot yourself <laughs> because you know what he means and you know what she means oh and you know what she's thinking he means and you know how f- fearful he is of what she's thinking and you just try to have your love for both of them cause them to love each other and it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Come on, guys. They can't see you nodding your heads, but we're all sitting here. 100% as the kids say these days. Yes, (laughs) as the kids. Uh, So, okay, Josh, who should do counseling? Is it really the job of pastors to be counselors? Well, 
I mean, the way that a lot of people think, right? The, the an additional piece of the mystifying piece of counseling is mental health mm. and what is mental health and everybody's trying to understand. And it kind of goes in waves. When I was younger, I remember, you know, I had friends and their parents who would end up in a kind of a mental health hospital that wasn't that far from where I lived. And then that place went out of business. I never knew why, but it kind of went out of style for a while to talk about. But in the last few years, it's kind of had a huge resurgence. And everywhere I look, every charitable entity is trying to donate to, um, mm. you know, the National Institutes of Mental Health and, and things like this. And so uh, if you're talking to, you know, and so what does a pastor know about mental health? The assumption is everything is only physical because we are materialistic right. to the core. Right. And that there's nothing ever spiritual about any of these things. And so, um, so that's another part of why, well, pastors ought not to be doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one starting point is, um, pastors have to do this work because men needed counsel from God in the garden before sin, even. Adam needed the revelation of God. He was, as a human, before he was a sinful human or before he was a sinned against human, mm. he needed revelation. He needed counsel from God. He was, he was dependent. And so pastors are the ones who, the church is the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And, and, and shepherds minister the words of God to people mm. um, who are dependent upon God. And so shepherds have to do this work. But in my experience... One of the things that happened, I think, earlier in, you know, kind of, can I just say the modern biblical counseling movement, Tim, sure. are you good with that? Can I just use that label for me yeah, to talk for a second? I would object to that. Okay. Well, for some reason, I was afraid you would object to it. <laughs> so uh, I'll just continue. Yeah, go ahead. So, no, I think that one of the reasons you're here is because you understand the modern biblical counseling movement. And we have some sense of areas that we have concerns about it, but you know it. Yeah, yeah, and I have a lot of the same concerns, and have and have probably lived them, and have probably committed all those errors. Let me let me continue to answer your question, yeah, Lucas, because yeah. your question is who should counsel. That's right. Mm -hmm. And one of the efforts in you know forty years ago and longer at this stage um, wasn't it was forty years ago, twenty years ago when I was learning it but was to bring restore counseling to the church, restore mm. counseling to the work of ministry. Um, but it was also not just to restore the work of counseling to the work of shepherds, but to the work of Christians. Mm. And that's what mm -hmm. Romans 15, 14 is, is, mm -hmm. was getting at was to, this is all of our job mm. to exhort one another daily you know, Hebrews chapter three, that this was to be a normal effort of our Christian lives to live unto God. Mm. So it shouldn't be something that was reserved just for shepherds. Now, I think what's happened is the original intent of some of the modern biblical counseling movement was to restore it in the life of the whole church. But then what we did was professionalize it so much so that no one in the church can do it again. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We ended up repeating in the church as we tried to 
restore truth in the church and helping people with counseling, we actually did this again so that you now have certified biblical, you have certified (laughs) biblical counselors and some of them are not pastors, you know, granted, but there is such a high level of knowledge that's needed but isn't in that, order to well, give counsel to someone, and we've made isn't, it. Isn't it good though to for someone to go on and get a more specialized set of tools or knowledge? I mean, there are things about sitting down with somebody and talking with them. Well, and it's necessary too because I mean, in our church, it's not like everybody could handle the same degree of problems that right. I might be the one entrusted to lead with and lead into and handle. So, um, so no doubt that that's helpful. The problem is just that um, when it becomes completely separate from the work mm. of what is what it means to be a Christian and helping a brother and sister live unto God, mm-hmm. then it becomes this separate entity that um, everyone else kind of sits there with their hands tied, going, "I don't know enough. I can never say anything to anybody," and then it then it becomes unhelpful. But mm. but do they? That's the question. I mean, earlier you were talking about the fact that we all have these shared things in common. We all have these experiences. We can all relate to one another, right? And so when you think about the work that Christians do one with another, a lot of that work is just how we help other people by identifying with them and by showing them how we moved forward through God's mercies and through his word. And so we actually do have something to say. There is counsel, there is admonition that we have to give them, and we don't have confidence to do it for mm. the reasons that you just yes. said, because we've th- thought that that's, now that's been removed for, from us, and it's in this parachurch kind of side, uh, you know, annex building over here where we do that work, and it can't be done by me because all I know is nothing. But in fact, right. I know a great deal because I've lived for 30 years, right? right. And, and it, but, <laughs> and yet. We'll we'll distribute we'll distribute essential oils to everybody. <laughs> I mean, we'll pass. Oh, you got a you're feeling down here. Have some essential oils when we actually have something to help them with yes. that we don't feel confident to give yeah. them, but we'll give them some essential oils to rub can, on their tongue. Can I talk about this a little bit? When yeah. you were talking about the training, I was thinking about how the Roman Catholic Church would excommunicate men in the High Middle Ages, medieval period. Because they would go out and preach. They were lay preachers, but they didn't have the knowledge of the church's uh, magisterium of their dogma. They, um, and so the church would mock them, mock them because of what ignoramuses they were, and they were purporting to preach the word. All right. Mm. And so foundational of the Reformation is the principle of uh, perspicuity of scripture, that scripture in most areas is written at a level of sophistication that a commoner can understand. And that was a radical thing for the reformers to say. Mm. And yet, when I went to Gordon-Conwell, you had Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart, who wrote How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, or you know, and it's like this manual of exegesis. I mean, the permutations of what you can and can't do with Greek and Hebrew, and the hermeneutical implications, and the, and and I mean to tell you they, and you go to the Wheaton Bible Department, and it doesn't matter that these people have translated neutered versions of Scripture. You know, Doug Moo with the neutered NIV. You know, but he has 
science and life with the key to the scriptures. You know, yep. who needs Mary Baker Eddy when you got Doug Moo, you know, to tell you precisely how you take this text. Now, Doug has helped me a lot preaching through Romans, despite being a, a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. But my point is this. This is what we do to every area of authority, is we make it safe. We certify mm. it. My dad said it took him three years to get through seminary and seven years to get over it. And he went to the same seminary that Francis Schaeffer went to, faith, you know. Um, he said the only thing that seminary has in common with Christ's training of his disciples is they're both three-year institutions. <laughs> now, listen, uh. we have professionalized clergyhood. That's why John Piper had to write yeah. You know, brothers were not a p- professionals. And everybody's intimidated to approach scripture, mm. or everybody is anti authority and they are absolutely yeah. opposed to any pastor telling them that he has gifts and training and power of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands that they need to respect and listen to. There's an excluded and so, middle there. Yeah, it is. It's completely excluded. And I want to add one other thing I was thinking as you were talking about the certification of counselors. Listen, anytime you take what is essentially a biblical gift, let's say the gift of wisdom and discernment, mm. combined with love, always love, anytime you take a gift and you give them training, the, the 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 implication behind the training is exactly what you were saying, Lucas, which is it will render it better and safer. Hmm. Your counsel will be better because you've been certified. That's what everybody believes, right? Right. Here's the problem. When you put men in a seminary to be trained and give them a master's of divinity, and that qualifies them to be ordained if they can come up with a call, mm-hmm. okay, what inevitably you do is you liberalize them through the professors and the administration. This is what people don't realize is the very process of training and certification does what? And people think, well, it gives them the needed skills. It's exactly what you were saying, right? Right, right? But here's the problem. What are the motivations of a seminary? Well, the motivations of a seminary are to get jobs for their students when they graduate. Well, how does a seminary train a man in such a way that he'll get a job when he graduates? Well, you must remove zeal from him. You must remove the masculine principle. You must remove boldness. You must teach him, and this is why I always say, what is the real curriculum of every seminary? The real curriculum is this. If there is ever conflict in your church, you have failed. Mm. And that's because no churches want to hire a man out of a seminary that is going to be Pauline. I mean, are you serious? Can you imagine anybody hiring the Apostle Paul? Now take it into counseling and take it into certification. Why do they say, quit at 55 minutes? Why do they tell you not to get involved in power struggles with your clients? You know, think of all the things you're taught that are foundational to biblical counseling. And what you will find, if the truth is sought, the truth, all right, what you will find is an awful lot of the process of getting certified, the American, you know, ABC, BC, or whatever it is, a lot of it is aimed at building the credibility and reputation of the organization that does the certification. 
And so we have to be very careful about this stuff to realize the motivations that are perverse behind what my dad called the MDiv. He called it the union card. Yeah. You have to be safe if you're going to be certified, whether as a pastor or as a minister. Hmm. I mean, a pastor, a minister, or a counselor. And I'm just talking about those two things. We can apply it to other areas. But don't think that because somebody's certified and a professional, that that means that they have more skill. In many cases, it means they have less than what they started with. Hmm. And I'm going to say one other thing about this. When I went to seminary, I had a binge reading on psychotherapy. Okay, Thomas Cezaz, The Myth of Psychotherapy, a professor of psychology at like NYU or something, and a book on the powers of psychiatry, and I read a whole bunch on it. And one of the things that I learned was that there is a negative correlation between training and certification in counseling and your ability to help a suicidal person. A negative correlation. Negative. Mm. Now, why, why is that? <laughs> okay. Well, no, talk. Why? I'm just making the statement. It's negative correlation, not a positive. Um, well, my immediate thought is that it has to do, it's got to have something to do with risk because with someone, the, the stakes are so high that nobody wants to take the risk of going out to the edge with this person and dealing with what's really going on. So you're saying people that are trained are self-protective even then? Yes, that's that's my guess but i don't know any other guesses that person is standing on a ledge and that ledge isn't something that you can that you can just uh, help them to talk about or you know they're they really are at a place where they're just about to do something and it requires some kind of dramatic action that isn't that doesn't normally attend that world it's got to be real it's, it's got to be, be real it's got to be raw. you know you're we're in it well we're calling the hospital you know after i was first trained in counseling i had all the answers you know like kind of like the young man who learns about child discipline but didn't have a father who yeah, yeah. disciplined him and then he learns how you're supposed to do it according to scripture and then like just it. goes overboard yeah yeah and, um, and after I was first received training, you know, it was like, I thought I could help anybody. Mm -hmm. I could rescue everybody from their problems. I knew all the answers. Superman. You were yeah. Superman. I mean, I understood the human heart and motivations and I knew guilt and I, you know, and, and, and mm -hmm. my freshman year in college, my best friend who, um, I thought I had come to the, know the Lord right around the same time I did. And we had had a great senior year of high school. Well, he got this incredible scholarship, went up to um, uh, a college in Michigan, but just lost his mind, really just lost his mind. Mm -hmm. And then he came back to, uh, came back home. And most of my freshman year was turned into absolute chaos because um mm. because of him losing his mind and mm. he was eventually diagnosed with bipolar and it was mm. some of the latest craziest nights and events and things when he was in a manic episode and um and i remember looking back on it <laughs> then i you know at some point received some counseling training i'm like well he's my project now 
I know that he can get to, you know, a better place. And I know that, and and you just say the stupidest things to people um, because you have training, you know, and he's no longer my friend who I just love and care about. And I'm devastated that he's in a really hmm. bad place and, and really apostasy at this point. And I'm just got some answers for how to fix <laughs> his bipolar disorder. Huh? Well, that's not going to be really helpful when someone's standing on a bridge. Yeah. Huh. I always thought, it's funny, I never thought what you three said. I have always assumed that the reason is that it is impossible to look at, Donald, at Ronald Reagan giving a speech on television as the President of the United States and have any impression of sincerity mm. because he spent years as an actor. Mm-hmm. And so I have felt that any professional counselor has spent years protecting their emotional health in terms of how they relate to people and has lost the ability of having, let alone being able to sincerely show empathy. And I've assumed that somebody on the verge of killing themselves often is somebody who cannot look anywhere and see a sincere, open-handed, non-reciprocal love Hmm. Hmm. and a value for them as a person. And that people who aren't trained, their heart goes out. People who are trained have learned to not let their heart go out. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but that's always that's kind what, of what It's kind of what Josh was saying, is I it, think. Is yeah, it? He was saying he left that heart going out part and mm. just went with the training. And so it's similar. Yeah. Well, so let's bring it back to my question. Who should do counseling? I think it's clear that we're, you know, we're four pastors sitting here. We believe that this is part of the ministry of being a shepherd. Can, can I just do some spade work very quickly? Sure. Number one, we are not opposed to professional counselors. That needs to be said. Right, right. Number two, we really do believe in marriage counseling, despite what I said. <laughs> All of our jokes, But yes. people need to realize how we go home and smash our head against brick walls. That's how <laughs> awful some counseling things are, because you can love a husband and wife. And if they don't love each other, it doesn't matter how much you love both of them. Yeah. Number three, we believe, I think, all of us in drugs. Yeah. And we want to say that very clearly, that we do believe in, 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 in ha- using uh, psychotropics. We do believe that there are emotional conditions. We don't believe that man is spiritual and therefore not physical. Right. Um, so I want to put that stuff on the table. I want to well, say, go ahead. It's not, go ahead. it also go doesn't ahead. mean a, it's a carte blanche to everything. No, 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 no. Not. I just want, because right. people will say, well, you know, it's all spiritual or it's all this or, and, and so no, we, we hold to these things, but I want to say one other thing. You say who should do the counseling. Yeah. And one thing people need to keep very close track of is I do not believe that any Christian counselor should do counseling where the majority of his clients, if you want to refer to them as that, or sheep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are unable to be disciplined by a board of elders connected with the ministry. <laughs> Wait, say that, say that a different way. In other words, 
I have friends. I have a relative who spent her whole life counseling. Yep. I have friends yep. who have been counselors their whole lives. Mm -hmm. I think that there should not be a disconnect between the church and her authority and counseling and its authority. Okay. And the reason I say that is how many times have people come in and confessed, for instance, the, the sexual abuse of children to us? Mm. How many times have we had people who look at pornography and their wife is ready to kill herself and they won't change? In other words, yes, there are many sins that come out in counseling where they simply can't be dealt with by a pastor saying, you know, stop it. Mm. because the man or woman is deep in sin, deep mm -hmm. in sin. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a support network around that counselee and that counselor that can raise it to the level of accountability to the bride of Christ and the keys of the kingdom. So an awful lot of the reason that we separated biblical counseling from the church formally, you know, not to say that it's not a pastor and it's not in an office at the church, is because everybody thinks it's wrong to discipline somebody who's being counseled mm. if they refuse to repent of a sin that's destroying others and themselves. Yeah. And so I just want to emphasize the fact that we also believe in church discipline being a necessary uh, work that is in hands or how would you put it? That's hand in glove. I mean, yeah, that's hand in glove. And I'm not saying that, you know, you, <laughs> I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to think, Oh, well, so in other words, if you can't solve it, then you just turn them over to the elders and they, what excommunicate them. No, 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 no. My position would be that it's much more likely that the counseling of a pastor or an older woman in a church is going to produce fruit if the people being counseled know that that person and they are accountable to the board of elders mm. and to the other women of the church. And if this doesn't work, you know, we have no hesitation calling in the higher powers. Mm. Now, think about that. I mean, it's radical. But I mean, didn't Jesus give us the keys of the kingdom for a purpose? And isn't that purpose still true? And doesn't that mean that the power of the keys is a tool that God makes effective even when we think it won't? Hmm. Well, it's radical because often counseling, the whole, like we've said before, removes guilt entirely. If you start from responsibility... You know, yeah, place of let me give you an example. A church I was at before, not here in Bloomington, and I could keep saying we're not. <laughs> yeah, I better not do that. <laughs> but I, I was working with a pastor who was counseling a man who was a guidance counselor in a local public school. Mm -hmm. He was going regularly down to the metropolitan area near us and hiring prostitute boys to have sex with. I didn't find this out until I had been at the church for a fair amount of time, and I was the low man on the totem pole. But the idea would be, well, this man is a man that's confessing it. That's all we need. All we need is that the man's confessing it. Then one time I remember the pastor telling me that that man had almost propositioned one of the students he was counseling that week. Wow. This is how deep we can get into this false empathy this mm -hmm. false compassion mm -hmm. and 
so I'm saying that we need to understand as counselors ourselves, we're accountable to the board of elders or to the older women of the church if we're a woman counseling a woman. And we need to believe in the power of discipline and not just think that if we, we empathize with people and love them and sympathize with them and give them verses and they confess their sins and cry every week. Mm. Yeah, I wrote down on a sheet of paper those couple things because a lot of Christian counseling happens outside the church on its own authority, has no, no accountability whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and they always know more than pastors do. And they always know more than elders do. And their whole, pos- their whole positioning is that they are the sympathetic people who really care. Hmm. And I guess pastors and elders are all monsters. Um, and so how many times, David, have oh, we I know. Run in mass? Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's, <laughs> it's just an endless. epidemic problem. It's an epidemic problem. And so it's absolutely essential. What you're saying is absolutely essential, um, for the good of the counselor and accountability to them. And also to protect, protect people who go to any person for counseling and the church and the whole church. Oh. It's for, it's, it's, it's for everyone. And, um, and so in the mystification uh, <laughs> of counseling, we have one of the mystifying things we've done is remove it from the simplicity of just the work of Christ church hmm. where people can get real help. And so can I say one thing Please. in response to the question about who should counsel? Um I can think right now I have people in my, in my head in our church who, if someone came to me and they just, it, it depends on the nature of the thing, right? You're always evaluating how severe is this? What's really going on? But you're also asking the question, who's the right person to handle this? Mm-hmm. I don't think every, every problem in our church, someone needs to come to me for counseling for mm, Right. There's people in my church who I would encourage someone to go talk to if it was, maybe they were trying to get some help and get some finances in order. There's people in my church who, if there was particular parenting difficulties, I would, uh, I would think, you know, they really should go talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so in, um, in pre-marriage counseling, one of the things that I almost always do now is tell the young couple who I'm starting pre-marriage counseling with to, they've got to meet with three other couples in the church, you know, somebody younger, somebody older, you know, and, um, and they just need to go talk to them and they need to write, they need to actually have questions prepared. So it's, mm-hmm. it has some more significance to it that they've thought through this and they, they, they have questions to ask. And so in a lot of ways, I want to involve the church in mm-hmm. counseling. Yeah. And so one but, of the, but, but. But aren't you ashamed of that because it means that you don't, there's a lot of stuff that you don't understand and you're not helpful about? I mean, how do you feel about well, that? You have no control over. Do they pay you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> my ego has been beat up so bad in the last 10 years. The, the, the thought that I need to be the person helping everybody is, is not really that near to me anymore. <laughs> So one of the other things that we've done that was just, has just been helpful is we do try to have other people with us as much as we mm. can. Um, 
and uh, in the life of our church. And uh, so maybe it's somebody, maybe if, if something needs to come to me and I'm going to be working with someone and maybe it's someone who they're maybe closer to in their small group. Um, it could just be another pastor or elder there, but it could also be someone from the small group um, who gets to kind of do the ongoing support mm. and, and, and care in, in the structure of, of helping a person and also gets to learn a little bit more. Hmm. They get to learn a bit, little bit more as they sit there and watch and participate in the process. And um, because I want the people who I'm counseling not to just come because the pastor is able to give them counseling and then kind of have an intimate time of learning and growth and, and intimacy with our pastor and then go back to the loneliness of the congregation where there's no one able to support or help mm-hmm. them or have any awareness of anything going on in their life. And so um, I have been jealous for the church's participation in counseling. And I think... That's and, been you know, they should know. People listening should know how constantly we seek counsel as pastors. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Never stops. One of the most depressing things about getting older is the fact that I can't go to so many men anymore mm. for help. Yeah, being being willing and actually thinking that, hey, I should go ask somebody about this. Um, is and, You know, I remember talking... To somebody who's who was telling me that uh, they were not going to people because they were afraid of what they would say, <laughs> and yeah. of course that's a strong reason not to. But I just I just said to them, "Look, you are robbing yourself. You know you're not going to want to hear what they have to say. So like this is not you know this is not complicated here, but you are robbing yourself of the wisdom of other people, and so be and humble. That is counseling." Yeah, let's nail that down. What you're talking about is counsel. If you look up the word counsel mm. in scripture, it's everywhere, mm. and it's like Nabal provided counsel. You know, it, mm. you know, it figures into how it was that David got to go back to the to the capital city of Jerusalem. You know, who provided good and who provided bad counsel, and so and the book of Proverbs. I often will tell younger people all the book of Proverbs is, is explaining that there are two kinds of people. One is the person that is given counsel and is angry and hardens their heart against it from their pride. And the other is the person that receives and is grateful for counsel. And then I always say to the young people, and there's not a third category that doesn't (laughs) need counsel. Yeah. There's not a third category. Mm. It's just the people that need it and reject it. The people that need it and love the man for Mm -hmm. doing it. All of us need counsel. Well, and it's so easy to look up and think that the people who received counsel just had this amazing knowledge from the get-go. But it's just never true. It's never true. They received counsel. They learned along the way. They're just ahead of you and humble enough to receive it. So they're really good. I tell people that the two most competent men from secular eyes, the people most valued, in this community, in the state of Indiana, held very significant positions of authority. And it's fascinating. For years, they were the ones that most consistently came to me for counsel and difficult things in their jobs. They just call me and say, hey, I got a problem. Can I talk it over with you? And they weren't cloying. They weren't insecure. 
Mm. <laughs> they were the best leaders in our church. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that's how you know a good leader is a good leader isn't insecure mm-hmm. about not knowing or having questions or needing counsel. And often I think that's the reason they're such good leaders is that they love counsel, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, dads need to hear that. I'm just, dads, if you're listening, get counsel. Don't be, don't be too proud to get some counsel and some advice. Any last things we want to say about making this practical for within our churches? I had an idea, and I'm wondering if we can do it. Can we just go around the table and and just mention things where we think it would be good to get counsel over? Oh, sure. And where we might go? I don't. I what, haven't what? thought about no, it. Yet. No. I came up with a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, things we might need to get counsel. I mean, how to handle a problem with kids? You know, I like I what just, kind? I just had parent teacher conferences last night, right? And so I'm thinking about my children and the feedback that my my the teachers gave and and there's there's good feedback but there's a lot of things that you know are concerning to me and i'm thinking like so that's you know getting counsel from others about that i i think you're not going to be a perfect parent out of the gate no it is and there's likely someone who's been through the situation same as you um max well, one thing would be vocations and job changes and where I'm going to live as a result of it and what implications that's going to have on my life spiritually, But isn't that meddling? I mean, why would you go to your pastor for such personal decisions? It doesn't have to be pastor. Well, but people come to us for yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. that's true. Well, I I would throw that back in your face and say, why are you not inclined to go? Because almost always people who are not inclined to go don't want to hear what anybody says about it mm. because they've made up their mind and they know there's usually some kind of sliver in their brain of doubt about something that they're doing and their motivation for doing it. And so the last thing you want to do is to ask somebody about it, mm-hmm. especially someone who will tell them the truth and the truth of that might be actually consequential to their does that Being mean that any, from disaster? Does that mean that anybody that comes to us and asks us questions about that, we have the truth? No. No. no yeah, but open that not. up because that's important. Well, we don't know. What we do generally have are principles and truth, truths and experience that will help. If somebody comes and says, Well, I've got this great job opportunity and you know, in uh, Missoula, Montana, and it's da 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 and, and we say, yeah, that's great. You know, where are you going to go to church? And, well, I don't know. I didn't think about, you know, what am I going to, and they never thought at all about the spiritual care for their souls, and if they're married, their spouse, and if they're parents, their children, and they've not given any consideration at all to it, so we don't tell them where to go to church. We don't tell them any number of things we give them parameters and say you know you you very you should actually be thinking first about your soul because that's the important thing and there are certain places that i tell people not to move because of a lifelong awareness of the paucity of any decent church in that area and because of the spiritual tone of that area and, and the main area that i've said that to people about is washington dc Mm-hmm. I've known a lot of people that have lived in Washington, D.C. What a difficult place to And live. so some of it is our knowledge of the area you're moving to. Some places have good churches, some don't. 
But some of it also is based upon the knowledge of the personality yeah. and sins of the individual. Yeah. And so, anyhow, you have... Yeah, I, I mean, I texted, uh, I called one friend and texted another friend to ask them what their initial thoughts were on demystifying counseling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're ever so, going to record a podcast yeah. episode? Well, I, it's, I ask questions all the time. I never stop asking questions and mm. I haven't stopped asking questions for years. Mm. And so when I hear what should you get counsel for, I just think what shouldn't you get counsel for <laughs> at some level, mm. you know, now more practically speaking, life dominating sins, sexual sins, you know, who you li- should marry. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's basic decision counseling, you know, yeah. there's decision making counseling and then there's, you know, the nature of the soul and the sins and temptations of people. And if temptation and sin is something that is um, overcoming you or in some way you are uncertain about, or you're persuaded that this is really bad in what's happening in your life, you just need to get help for it. And there is help for it, um, which is the glorious thing uh, about Christ church. I mean, so it's hard for me to even answer because I think what shouldn't you get counsel for? You know, something you just said, sparked in my mind a caution that's important that we give, which is that if you think you know what you need counsel about, don't assume that you're right. Yep. I remember this last Sunday, we spent a couple hours with a couple where the wife had originally come to, came to me and, and, and no, I guess had originally come to me. Yeah. And uh, she had a question. And as I probed the question, I realized that she thought that was the issue, but it wasn't the issue. The real issue was something that she did not want to talk about. And before we were done, I ended up talking to her and her husband and three of us pastors were all with them in my office by the end. And the real issue was, as I saw it, listening carefully to the way that she phrased her question, she had been plowed with by a sinner. And she was not aware of the degree to which a sinner had 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 plowed with her. And so what really she needed was not so much to be reassured of how the church had treated the sinner as much as that the sinner had elicited from her a response which she should have been on guard against and not given into. Well, that's a dicey thing because then, you know, you're trying to say, actually, that's not the question that you should be asking and thinking about. Let me take you over here. Well, no, I don't need to go over there. I trust you with that. I'm asking you about this. Well, okay, so let me spend an hour reassuring you about the thing that the sinner caused you to ask me about. Now, can I go over there? Well, no, I don't want, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? That's a very common thing in counseling where you see often very quickly that the issue that they're bringing to you is is not the real issue or that it highlights another issue that you really do need to help them with. But they're resistant. They're Mm -hmm. resistant. So don't be resistant if a counselor tries to redirect your attention someplace else. Don't be sure that you know what the real issue is. I had a doctor friend once who was describing pain to me, and I've mentioned this before, and he said, 
pain doesn't localize the way you think. And mm. I won't actually mention the part of the body that he referred to, <laughs> but he said, you can have a, a problem in your toe and it can cause pain. And then he described the place and I was like, whoa, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and that's true in counseling yes. also. Yeah, good caution. Did you give your suggestion, your question? Well, I just, I don't think people realize that an awful lot of the counseling in the church goes on informally, in the sanctuary, in the foyer, over phone calls, texts, stuff like that, between people in the church. Counseling is going on constantly. And the reason is that God has ordained us to be humbled under a central teaching. That's what Calvin always is saying. Mm. And so as a church, we are formed into one whole by all submitting to an inferior idiot called the pastor who we are disciplined by God to have to submit to. So there's the pastor who counsels us from the pulpit, mm -hmm. although any pastor that says, I do all my counseling from the pulpit which is what Harold John Ockengay said years ago when he was retiring from Park Street. My dad was so disgusted. My dad mm. said, Mary Lou and I would never have gone to Park Street when we lived in Cambridge if, if that's how Ockengay was. Mm. And so another thing I would say is one of the reasons to counsel for a pastor is it is going to make your preaching so much better. If you think that you can just be in an ivory tower, which is what Calvin wanted when he stopped to visit in Geneva, right? and you can just you know issue edicts from on high without getting to smell like the sheep, you're crazy. You have to know your sheep in order to know how to preach. Mm -hmm. But I would say things like uh, how to deal with a child mm -hmm. who is particularly manipulative, or if you're just discouraged about dealing with one of your mm -hmm. children. Go and ask your pastor and his wife to encourage you. Mm. Uh, moving, jobs, uh, job changes, mm. um, intractable theological issues. Say, for instance, you reject or deny some central tenet of the faith. You don't believe it. Take that you know, to somebody for counseling. It can be an elder. It can be. And, and there's one other thing I want to say, Lucas. So I, you know, I really don't think that there's anything that you should feel like is not significant enough to take to somebody else in the church or to your mm -hmm. pastor. Mm -hmm. Give your pastor a chance to love you. Yeah. Give, give yourself a chance to perceive the affection that the pastor has for his sheep. Give yourself a chance to be loved. We've got about 35 or 40 minutes left in this conversation, and I thought about whether or not to release it as a single episode or to split it up. And I decided to split it up because the next part of this conversation is really about women in counseling. As Tim, Pastor Tim says, very few people think about sexuality with counseling. And so we try to dive into that specifically in our next episode. I hope you'll join us. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with pastors Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Josh Nipp. For more great content, please check out warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.